a concept called the sovereignty of God. You say, what is that? That is the power and the will of God to choose people and nations in spite of their worth, their works, or their sinfulness. You know, God chose Nebuchadnezzar, even though he was a wicked man. He raised him up, put him in power in order to come against Israel. But God told uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, I raise up leaders and I put them down. That's the sovereign power of God. And I want to talk to you from Romans chapter 9 this morning. We're just going to go verse by verse and see some incredible things. So by way of introduction, Paul is writing three intense chapters, and they are in the book of Romans uh, 9, 10, 11, about a nation of people called Israel. And he refers to Israel as God's elect nation. Look in chapter 9, verse 3. Uh, Romans chapter 9, verse 3. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for who? For my brethren, not for the saved, but for the lost ones. My kinsmen, according to the flesh, fleshly Israel, verse 4, who are, not were, the cross didn't change Israel and make them non-existent anymore. They are Israelites to whom pertaineth, and he talks about as a nation, they were adopted. To them was shown God's glory. God gave them covenants and the law. Keep reading the word, the service of God, the worship of God, and the promises. Whose are the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and so on. And of whom is concerning the flesh, Christ came. A lot of people may not realize it, but Jesus was from Israel. Jesus was a Jew. Jesus was, was not a Christian. Don't get misunderstand. He died to make Christians. He came under the law to redeem them that are under the law so that we could be a new creature in Christ, being Christian. Understand all that. Uh, who is God, who is, uh, who's overall God blessed forever. He's talking about Israel, by the way. So Israel as a nation, if I catch up with this, is the physical example of God's grace. Now, if I watched your life, both before you got saved and after you got saved, I can tell you this, I should see dark and light, amen? I should see uh, a life dominated by the world, the flesh, and the devil, and then I should see a life dominated by the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And you, even though you're a failure, even though you mess up, you're an example of God's grace. You never can stand up and say, I am great. I have done this. I tithe. I fast twice in the week. Remember that? You can't say that. There's no grace there. It's all works. And neither could Israel. Israel was a failure. And yet God had grace on them. You understand that? They're an example of God's grace. Secondly, Israel was a nation that God gave his perfect laws and his promises to. All the Old Testament laws and the promises were given to the Jews first. And the best thing that, that uh, Israel ever gave to the world was a saving Messiah named Jesus. So <clears throat> you understand that that is Israel. It is a, is a nation not saved. They're not right with God. Very, very rarely have they ever been right with God. But this nation, even though it failed, it never canceled. It never changed the promises of God. God kept faithful. The greatest three words in the Bible is God is faithful. Amen. I'm glad God loves me. But you know what? People who love me change. Amen. You ever had anybody that was your best friend and three weeks later, they don't want to talk to you? You see, God's love is good because 
God is faithful. Therefore, I know I can trust his love to always be constant. So Israel's failures don't cancel out the promises of God any more than you and I do. Every time you fail, you think God's all through with me. No. Every time you backslide or the, or the devil gets your attention and causes you to do something stupid, let me tell you this, that doesn't change the promises of God. You know how far, how long and how far do you have to go to get right with God? Down and look up. You there's not even there's not even one step to get right with God. There is surrender and he's right back because he's faithful. So you got to understand if God's patient and kind toward you, he is and always has been patient and kind toward Israel. So uh, uh, the fact that, the, and I thought of this, the fact that the Bible records nearly constant rebellion against God by Israel, it shows that God inspired the Bible. Think about it. If I were a Jew and I'm writing about my nation and our closeness to God, I'd want to say, and we kept the laws and we worshiped God and we were so close to God. That's how a man would write about his religion. But you read your Bible in the Old Testament. You know what it says? <laughs> and they sinned again <laughs> and they committed spiritual adultery again. And it's a, it's, it's a record of the failure of Israel and the faithfulness of God. That shows it's written by God. Amen. So, <clears throat> there, uh, just understand this. Israel as a nation will be blessed and one day will receive their Messiah, even though for the last 2,000 years they've fallen into gross spiritual apostasy. Look at, you're in Romans chapter 9, look at verse 10. I mean, chapter 10 and verse 1. Romans, in your Bible, I hope you have your Bible this morning. Don't trust me. Don't listen to me. Listen to the Bible. It always <laughs> has a way of, of illuminating Romans chapter 10, verse 1 says this, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for who? Now, I think you ought to pray for Ireland, especially after last night's presentation on Eurovision. I mean, Ireland is dark. Ireland needs the gospel, folks. But brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. So get the, get the word. There's not just true Israel. There's not just spiritual Israel. There is an Israel out there that needs to be saved. You understand that? And uh, unbelieving Israel, Paul says, I want them to be saved because they can be and they will be. Look at Romans chapter 11. Go one more chapter to the right. Romans chapter 11, verse 25. Romans chapter 11, verse 25 says, For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery. I want to explain this, he says. Lest ye should be wise in your own, what's that word conceit mean? Your own arrogance. Your own puffed up attitude about yourself. Don't be so arrogant, he says. I want you to understand that blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. Until we're finished. Verse 26. And so all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. Now, Jacob was the name before he became known as Israel. Jacob's the, the schemer. Jacob's the, the ungodly man he was before he got converted. And in the future, Israel is ungodly and Jesus will come and turn away ungodliness from Jacob. Watch it. 
Verse 27, for this is my covenant, my solemn promise unto them that when I shall take away their sins. It's yet to happen. It's yet to happen. Amen. Now let's keep going. Where we have introduction, there are 14 complex, incredibly intense and complex truths in chapter 9, 10, 11. And you got to ponder these, okay? We're going to take our time, look at them. Don't think that I can fully explain them. Don't think you'll fully understand them either. Uh, he takes some of the deepest, most complex, and often confusing concepts and lays them out in these three chapters. So don't you for a second jump on somebody's YouTube bandwagon and believe that you're going to instantly grasp these things. Oh, I watched two YouTubes last night, and I fully understand. You do not understand anything. Uh... The, these 14 things are absolutely marvelous, and they are, they are like the top peaks of, of the Himalayan mountains. They are worthy of understanding and pondering, but don't you think you'll grasp them right off the top? And that if somebody says, what about this? You may just have to hold up your hand and go, I don't know. But let me just list them for you, the sovereignty of God. There are huge arguments about what does that mean. I know, because it's deep. Uh, election. Not the election, <laughs> uh, you know, that's coming up in, in Ireland and in America and ha over half the world, but God's election. Believing Israel, who are they? Uh, the Gentiles being included in the family of God. That's next week. It is absolutely breathtaking that I get to enjoy the blessings that should only be for Abraham and his, his descendants. Um, the free will of mankind. You know what people have come up with? They can't understand the free will of man, and, and uh, so they figure we're living in a simulation. We're living inside some big computer. You heard that lately? Anything but the Bible. You know what I believe? I'm a mess, and God handles it. I have free will, and God is still sovereign, and God works everything out according to his will, not mine. It's deep, the problem of Jesus. You know, you can talk to a lot of people. You can have a cup of coffee with them, but just mention Jesus. He's a stumbling block, isn't he? He's, he's the reason why most people don't get saved. Well, I don't, I just don't like Jesus. I just don't like that Bible. I just don't like the way it's been preached. You know what your problem is? Jesus. You see, if Jesus Christ died to save your soul, you'd do anything. You'd put up with anybody else's opinion in order for you to be close to him and to have him and him have you. The problem of Jesus, the righteousness of faith. Wait a minute, I thought I have to do good works to have righteousness. No, 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 no. Faith accesses and gets the righteousness of Christ imputed to you. These are deep things. You understand what I'm saying? How about the fact that, listen, salvation is so complex, and yet God made it so simple. All you have to do is call upon the name of the Lord, and he shall save you. For whosoever shall call upon. Isn't that marvelous? Uh, God's grace versus works. There's so many people who say, yeah, but what if I fall away? Well, what if I'm not good enough? <laughs> grace took care of it all. Amen. Uh, the fall of Israel. Well, we, we've seen that. We saw that when they rejected their Messiah. Uh, Jerusalem was surrounded, destroyed. The temple was destroyed. Israel has fallen away, but it ain't finished. The grafting into the Gentiles right now, we are put into the family of God. And one of these days, the, the, the nations of this world and the Gentiles are going to be broken off and Israel will be, be back in. That's the reconciling of the nation of Israel. We're going to understand the blindness of Israel. 
We're going to try to. And this thing called the new covenant. You know what I just showed you? Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11. That's there. That's why we're taking our time. Amen. <laughs> you say, why do we have to go through all that? Because God wrote it. If he wrote it, it's meant for me to read it. It's meant for me to, not just theologians, don't you dare leave it to the priest or the bishop or the pastor. You need to know these things. The more you know these things, the stronger you will become as a Christian. You won't be carried about with every wind of doctrine. So back there in, in Romans chapter 9, two weeks ago we started this thing and I showed you that not all Israel are Israel. Israel is the name of the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But that name Israel means prince with God. And it is more than just being a descendant of Abraham. Israel is the purpose of God. Can you understand that? God wants people to be elevated from the, the, the old life and made into an Israel, a prince with God. That's, that's, that's salvation. That's what faith does. That's what, what following Jesus Christ does. So uh, in, that's, we learn that in, in Romans chapter 9 and verse 6. Look at it there. Not as though the word of God had taken none effect, for they are not all Israel, which are of descendants of Israel. Okay, we learned all that. We also learned that just because, and I'm going to emphasize this, that someone is physically a descendant of Abraham. You go over to Israel and somebody can trace their descendancy back to Abraham. It does not mean they're blessed with the blessing of Abraham. It doesn't mean they're saved any more than... If your parents were born again, Bible-believing, Baptist Christians, and you're born in that family, you know what you are? A sinner who yourself needs to get born again. Amen? You can't claim connection by genealogy. You can only claim connection by faith, by believing in the God of Abraham who gave Jesus. So <clears throat> we're going to talk about God's choices here in chapter 9. We're going to pick it up in verse 14. And uh, let me read verse 14 here. He says this. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? And then he answers for or his rhetorical question. God forbid. So his first question he asks is, 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 is God wrong? Is God unrighteous? Is, is God ever wrong in what he does? Now, I've come to that conclusion. But when I got when I first was hearing the gospel and I sat where you sat and my pastor priest i was trying to process all these things is god good can god be trusted does god ever make a mistake uh why does he why, why, why does he think that he's so high and mighty well i come to find out he is high and mighty he is good i came to but it doesn't always just come to you that's why we read the bible that's why we actually use our head and paul asks a question based on the context see he's asking about the gentiles you see, to the Jews, they know they have a special place. They're in a special place in God's plan. And here come these Texans. <laughs> here come these Frenchmen. Here come these Germans. Here come these South Africans. Here come these Ukrainians, these Russians. Here come all of these Gentiles. And the, Rus and the, no, the Russians and the, the uh, uh, Israelis, the Jews are saying, and these are believing Jews, but they're struggling. Why? And Paul asks, you think? Anything that God does, does he ever do wrong? So the context is, is God unrighteous in how he chooses? And this is, this is where the sovereignty of God comes in in the election. I'll show you this. 
He asked, was God unrighteous to choose Jacob over Esau? If you remember that in chapter 9, he, lives, he reads there in verse um, uh, uh, Jacob and Esau, verse 11, for the children not yet born, having neither done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election, now we'll notice this, not the salvation of God, but the purpose, might stand not of works, but of him that calleth, not... The, the, uh, the, this blessing that God was going to give was not based on your performance, but was based upon God. And that's why in verse 12, it was said unto her, the elder, which was Esau, was going to serve the younger, Jacob. As it is written 1,400 years later in the book of, of uh, Malachi, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. That's why he says in verse 14, was that wrong? Forgot to make that choice. And, and here's the truth. People believe that God should choose blindly. All right. Um, they, they want God to have no preference at all. God, just, just accept us all. Okay. There are other people who, who think that God should choose on merit. That you have to be good. You have to have an, a spiritual ability. That you have, not, have to have not have sinned. And the Pharisees were real good at this. Surely, God, you will choose me. Remember that? You know, when I was a kid in, in primary and secondary school, we had a class that was torture. It was called P.E. Now, when I was younger, I was not as good looking. I wasn't as muscular. I had to jump around in the shower to get wet, okay? So they line up all the boys. And you'd pick two team captains, and they would choose somebody to be on their team. Anybody else go through that? And who was usually toward the back at the end? All right, scrawny Craig Ledbetter. And who was always first to be picked? The guy that had four-foot-wide shoulders. The guy whose legs were tiny so he could move back and forth like lightning. That's the first one to pick. Performance, ability, that's the choice. Ledbetter, go get a Kleenex. <laughs> That, that is what people think that God should do. Surely, God, you would choose me because I'm better than so-and-so. You know, the, the Pharisees had a real hard time because they would see Jesus sit down and, and have dinner with harlots, with publicans. Pub owners were thieves. Pub owners, they always had to get under table money in order for business decisions to be made there. He was a thief. He worked for the Roman government to collect taxes. That guy Jesus sat down with and ate and laughed and talked. He sat down with sinners and the Pharisees. Amen. And the Pharisees said, oh, how can he do that? Mm -mm. Because God's choice is not based on a performance. You understand? Watch it. Um, there was a time where Jesus sat down and was talking to a woman at a well, and she was not a Jew. She was a half Jew. She was a Samaritan. And she's even shocked. She said, you, you're a Jew. Why, why, are you, why are you talking to me? Jesus said, if you knew who you were talking to. <laughs> and he's getting her to surrender and to believe on him as Messiah, and she's converted, and his disciples come up, and they see him talking to the Samaritan woman, and they're going, oh, how could you do that? Even the disciples had a problem with performance, amen? You see what I'm saying? You know what Paul says? God forbid. No way, Jose. Don't believe that God chooses based on 
your genealogy or based upon your um, uh, your performance. And don't believe that God just chooses everybody the same. No. The truth is, and I got to get to the point, God chooses based on his desire to show mercy. That is Bible. I don't care what you've been taught about the sovereignty of God and the election of God and the predestination of God. God makes a choice on showing, on, on, on pouring out his mercy on those that will receive it. And the difference between, and I'll show this, that the difference between uh, Esau and Jacob was one of them would receive it ultimately and one of them wouldn't. Ishmael and, and Isaac, Isaac receives it and Ishmael doesn't. So look in verse 15. Look at Romans uh, uh, 9 and verse 15. For he saith in Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. What's he saying? I choose. Verse 16. So then it is not of him that willeth or of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. It's all about God. All right. So let's look at this. Kind of sounds whimsical if you were to think about it. All right, and by the way, let me just a bit back up. You know what mercy is, don't you? Mercy means undeserved kindness. That's what mercy is. Mercy is when to show mercy means you're just kind and you help somebody even though they didn't deserve it. By the way, that's what hospitals are for. They don't care who comes in, don't care what condition, the condition they come in. They're there to show kindness. Not based on money, not based on abil their, their ability to pay, not based on their um, their worth to society. They treat people based on mercy, showing mercy. Um, now, uh, I better I better build this up. Who did God show mercy to that he, that didn't deserve it? How about the Ninevites? The Ninevites were not Jews, and God didn't destroy them. That's mercy. How about Ruth, the Moabitess? She wasn't a Jew. And God extended mercy to her. And I said, Nebuchadnezzar, do you realize Nebuchadnezzar, he has abused and he has captive, he has made captive the, 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 the people of Israel. He's made them slaves in his kingdom. And the very young men whom he abused and forced to do his will, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel, those very same ones that he had abused, God used to show mercy to Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar got converted in chapter 4, where he realized there is a God in heaven, <laughs> and I worship him. The very, listen, next time you're thinking that God is allowing you to go through hell on earth, and everything's going wrong, you see, it's not about you. It's about whoever may be hurting you, and you being an example to them, so that they also unworthily receive the mercy of God that you've gotten. Did I just blow, did I just go over your head? God wants to show mercy. That's the purpose of God. That's the, the, the sovereignty of God and the power of God. So this isn't whimsical. He says, I will have mercy. It's, it's my choice. Paul is quoting from Exodus 33 when he talks to Moses. And uh, God says, I will have mercy on him and I will show uh, grace. The truth is, God chooses to show mercy towards undeserving people. Go to Genesis chapter 19. Genesis 19. We'll come back to Romans in a minute. Genesis 19. That's not the first book in your Bible, if you didn't know. Genesis 19. 
in verse 15. Genesis 19, 15. Look at this person. His name is Lot. If you know anything about Lot, he was not a godly man. Genesis 19, 15 says this. I can get there. And when the morning arose and the angels hastened, then the angels hastened Lot. If you know anything about this, Lot has been warned that fire is about to fall and burn up Sodom, Gomorrah, and about three other other cities in that area because of their sin of sodomite, sodomy. And it says in verse 15, it says, When the morning arose and the angels hastened Lot, saying, Arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters, which are here, grab them, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of this city. And while he what? Think about it. I mean, number one, Abraham is off walking with God. Lot is walking with sodomites. Lot is living in a wicked city. He's raising his kids. They are living just like the, the, the people around them. They're not walking with God. He's not worshiping God. He's not striving to, to obey God or yield to God. He is backslidden to the nth degree. And the angels go there and says, get out. And Lot says, oh, give me a few more minutes. And while he lingered, look at your Bible. The men laid hold upon his hand. They grabbed him. And upon the hand of his wife and upon the hand of his two daughters. Watch this. The Lord being merciful unto him. Why didn't the angels just say, if you don't want to come, we're out of here. That's what I would have done. I mean, this is mercy. Lot didn't deserve. Lot wasn't good enough. And yet God showed mercy to Lot. And it says, um, uh, and they brought him, the angel brought him and his family forth and set him outside of the city. And then the fire fell. Go to Nehemiah chapter 9. Nehemiah. If you find Psalms in the middle of your Bible and go left, go before Job, you'll find Nehemiah. Chapter 9 and verse 17. 9, 17. Nehemiah, just looking back on, on Jewish history here, and Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 17 says this. Uh, let me go back to verse 16, sorry. 9, 16. But they and our fathers dealt proudly with God and hardened their necks and hearkened not to thy commandments and refused to obey, neither were mindful of thy wonders that thou didst among them, but hardened their necks, and in the rebellion, they even appointed a captain to return to their bondage to take them back into Egypt. I mean, what kind of people are the Jews? Hard-headed, stubborn, rebellious. These are not super spiritual people, but watch what Nehemiah says. That's what Israel's like. But thou art a God ready to pardon, gracious and, are you with me? Merciful slow to anger, and of great kindness, and forsook us them not. God always chooses to show mercy toward people like Lot, through, like Israel. Let me show you Psalm 145. Psalm 145. To the right again, to the middle of your Bible, Psalm 145 and verse 8. Guess who gets to have the showers of God's mercies constantly, even though we don't deserve them? 
Psalm 145, verse 8. The Lord is gracious, full of compassion, slow to anger, and of great mercy. To who? Verse 9. The Lord is good to Oh, hey, we read that verse. We memorized this verse this month. I wish it would hit you straight between the eyes. Do you really, do you really despise the goodness and the forbearance and the long-suffering of God towards you? Not knowing that it, the goodness of God, the mercies of God towards you are leading you to repent. That's the verse. And he says, the Lord is good to all and his tender mercies are over all his works. Don't ever think for a moment that you or I or anyone has ever, ever deserved God's mercies. And yet God keeps giving them to us. It is of the Lord's mercies, Lamentations 3 says. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. That we don't just die right on the spot and that we don't have a second chance or a third chance or the fourth chance. Now, that brings up a point that God never makes a, a choice arbitrarily. You know what arbitrarily means? On your whim. Uh, God's treatment of us is the same way that we treat him in his words. I, I got to show you this. Go to Psalm 18. Psalm 18 in verse 24. Psalm 18, 24. You ever, you ever stood at a mirror? I mean, we don't think about it. But here's a mirror there. The closer you get to the mirror, the person on the other side of the mirror, what are they doing? They're getting closer to you. If I step back, what happens to the image on the other side of that, that glass? It steps back. You know what God says? Draw nigh to God and he will. Oh, isn't that cool? You see, how I respond to his mercy allows him to pour more mercy on me. Watch this. Psalm 18, verse 24. Therefore hath the Lord recompensed me, rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his eyesight. That's who I worry about, verse 25. Because with the merciful, thou wilt show thyself merciful. Now again, God said earlier, I'm going to be merciful to who I want to be. And then he says, I'll be merciful to those who appreciate mercy. Watch it. With the upright man will I show thyself. Will thou show thyself upright? This is David writing. With the pure, thou will show thyself pure. And with the froward. You know what a froward is, don't you? A froward's a crook. A froward's somebody who's perverted. And they, they get really angry. God, they go, God I can't, I don't, I don't understand you. The reason why is because you're untrustworthy. Your heart's so twisted, bent up, messed up, stuff that you're thinking and you're believing and you're going by, and God is all messed up to you. Once you get, listen, once you come to Jesus Christ and surrender and start over, it's called being born again, God becomes pure, and so do you. Isn't that awesome? With the froward, thou will show thyself froward. So God's treatment to us is the same way that we treat him and his words. So God's mercies are only enjoyed by people who want mercy. The point is, nothing we do earns God's mercy. Go to Romans chapter 9. Let's pick up this verse and we'll understand what he's saying because a lot of people have messed up this verse in their head. Romans 9, 16. And it's dealing with Esau and Jacob. I'll show you this. Romans chapter 9, verse 16. So then... It is not of him that willeth, 
nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. Mercies are not activated by me. They're not, they're not earned by me. It's the fact that God gives them. Watch. Let me show you a comparison. You have two guys, Ishmael and Isaac. Which one should God choose? Hmm. In Genesis 27, Isaac's about to die, and Isaac says, I got to pass on the inheritance that my father gave me and the spiritual blessing that God has put upon me. I've got to pass that on to one of my children. I've got, uh, I've got Esau and I've got Jacob. Abraham had the same problem. I'll go back to where I should be, which is he had one son named Ishmael, which was not the right job, and he had another son named Isaac. Abraham wanted everything to go to Ishmael. God says, no, you haven't had the right son yet, and he has Isaac. And uh, then when it comes to Esau or Jacob, this is where we're going to talk, which one is going to get the blessing? How come God chooses Isaac, and how come God chooses Jacob? Now, Esau was the oldest, strongest, and most cunning and capable leader of his family. This is, this is a drawing, obviously. It's a children's um, storybook drawing of a, what the Bible calls a hairy man. He, lived, he loved living out in the forest. He loved camping. He loved hunting. He was a man's man. And uh, he was a capable leader of the family. Jacob, he was the younger brother. He was a bit wimpy. He was plain looking, not very successful in anything. He was a mama's boy. And he was a liar and a thief. You say, can you really say that? God said, <laughs> okay. But God's will is not based on our will. I want you to understand this. God refused Esau and chose Jacob. Uh, God had actually said, the older brother is going to serve the younger brother. The younger brother is going to be chosen. God chose Jacob. Why? Because God chooses based on who would receive mercy. God didn't choose Jacob because he was such a godly man. God didn't choose Jacob because, and now the reason why it says not about willing and not about running is because when uh, uh, Isaac's wife hears that the blessing is going to be passed upon um, Esau, she, she gets her son. She says, quickly, run, go get a goat and let me cook it. And you take the skin, put it on and trick your father into thinking you're your brother. Do it quick. And boy, was Jacob fast because I'm sure his heart is beating 120, 150, 180 beats a minute because he's about to lie to his dad. He's about to try to deceive his dad and try to get that blessing by working real hard at it. But I want you to take a step back. Isaac had already made up his mind who was going to get the blessing. Do you know who uh, Isaac wanted the blessing to go to? Esau. Uh, Isaac's will was for Esau to get the blessing. Jacob is running to go and get it. That Neither one of those things earned the blessing. you understand? It was God showing mercy and only on the one who would receive the mercy. Which one actually gets converted in the end? Jacob does. Jacob gets thoroughly converted. He was much more of a, of a threat and a problem kid. And yet he received the mercy of God. Esau was bitter most of his life and he died a bitter man and went to hell. That is God's 
choice. So God is not merciful because of our worth or our merit or our righteous ability. It is because it's his nature to show mercy, but he gives mercy. He gives mercy to everybody, but he extends mercy and he works out his plan on those who receive it, those who want it. It's kind of sad to me that God is so kind to us and yet we don't accept it. We don't want it. The fact that God hasn't killed us, judged us, you know, brought more trouble in our life is a miracle because we ought to just fall on our face and say, God, you have been better to me than I deserve. That's mercy. Now let's get into the sovereignty of God. Look at verse 17, 917. For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, now we're going to look at another guy. Pharaoh, even for this same purpose have I raised thee up that I might show thee my power in thee and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore, hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy and on whom he will he? All right. So you find out, here's, here's, the, here's the danger. And I could, I could stop right here because I'm afraid you're not going to get this. Esau, when he rejected the mercy of God and he got bitter at his brother and he got bitter at God showing mercy towards his brother and passing the blessing onto his brother, when he became bitter and angry and he walked away from God, you know what that does to your heart? It hardens your heart. And the longer you come in to church and sit down and get angry at me and then go out and you get harder and harder, the fewer times we'll see you and the harder it will be for you to get back right with God. See, God's not arbitrary. God hardens based on our response to his kindness. So, verse, verse 17, back there. Let me try to explain this. Sovereignty is not a Bible word. All right? You can read your Bible from a cover to cover. Sovereignty is not a Bible word. But it is a word that summarizes the power of God. He says there in verse 17, look there again, for the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, even for this same purpose have I raised thee up that I might show my power unto thee. You know, God had the power to raise up an unnamed man, we don't even know his name, and make him Pharaoh, king of the entire empire of Egypt, and God had the power to knock him down, didn't he? And ruin that nation and bring it back down to zero. That is power. That is sovereignty. And that is the power of Jehovah, the king of the universe. So the, the, the sovereignty of God is based upon the following four truths. Number one, that God is God alone. Would you take your Bible and turn to 1 Kings chapter 8. 1 Kings, go back to the left. 1 Kings chapter 8 and verse 60. Before Psalms again. 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles. Going way back there. 1 Kings chapter 8 in verse 60. We ought to have a Bible drill some of these times. Find out if you're really finding it. <laughs> 1 Kings chapter 8 in verse 6. Is it 60 or 16? Oh, I'm in 2 Kings. Ha, ha. 1 Kings 8, 60, 6, 0. That all the people of the earth may know that the Lord is God and there is none else. Let me read to you Isaiah 44, 
Verse six says, thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, the Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Beside me, there is no God. He says in verse eight, for ye uh, fear ye not, neither be afraid. Have not I told thee from that time? Have not I declared it? Ye are even my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? I like this. Uh, there is no God. Yea, I know not any. <laughs> now that's humor. God, who knows everything, standing and he's talking to people. He says, you know, I'm up there here in heaven and I'm God and I don't know of any other God up here. That's kind of cute. You understand? There is only one God and he is the Lord. Mary is not God. Angels are not God. Allah is not God and Satan is not God. Jehovah is God. Now, what does that mean? means he created everything genesis 1 1 in the beginning god created <clears throat> isaiah 45 2 12 you don't have to go there he says i god says made the earth created man upon it i even my hands have stretched out the heavens and all their hosts have i commanded god said i made it all and if he has created this entire universe then that means he has all power he is sovereign he controls the wind and the waves. He controls the, mash, the motions of planets and stars. He controls all the laws of physics. They're all subject to him. I mean, Jesus walked on water. You do know that's impossible, amen? That means he has absolutely all power. You know what he can do? He can make a donkey speak and have a conversation with a man named Balaam, amen? <laughs> he can cause water to gush from solid rock. He can split the Red Sea and dry up the sea floor so that a million and a half people could walk through on bone dry ground. He can cause a virgin to be with child, never be married, never be with a man and have a son. God can raise the dead. God can heal any sickness and disease. Somebody says, you don't believe that God can heal. Are you kidding me? I believe God can heal. I just don't believe you can. Amen. God can cause nations to crumble and disappear into history. And if Ireland doesn't get right with God, she will follow. And he, and, and he can, and he will cast sinful people into eternal hellfire. That's the power of God. Don't mess with him. And gladly, he can save the most sinful wretch like me from that same hellfire just because I call on the name of his son. Amen. That is the sovereign power of God. That's why I pray. See, I could go to Weston to complain. I go to my wife and complain. I go to Ivan complain. I I can I complain to Bill. You know what happens? Nothing. But I pray to God, He can take care of it. He has the power to fix anything. Amen. We spend too much time talking into the air. Talk to heaven. Take your burden. Cast your burden before the Lord. He will sustain thee. He has all the power there is. That's why I worship Him. And He has the authority to do as He pleases. You know what that means? He will accomplish everything he sets out to do. And anybody, anybody tries to judge God, I just laugh at him. You go right ahead. We may not agree with what God does. We may not like what God plans and, and works out in our life, but you and I are not going to stand one day and say, God, you were wrong. <laughs> I mean, you ought to laugh at that thought. And yet I got people who tell, one of these days when I, when I face God, I'm going to tell them off. Yeah, go right ahead. <laughs> You know, the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 1, in that day, God says he will laugh. 
He who has the last laugh laughs best. He has the authority to do what he pleases. Sounds terrifying? <laughs> it is. You see, we forgot the fear of God a long time ago. We moved on from it. But let's not finish there. God is absolutely good. See, I'd be afraid of God that I couldn't trust is going to do the right thing. God cannot lie. God cannot break his promises. God cannot fail. He cannot go against his own nature. I read this this morning. You know what a drunk does? A drunk gets up and thinks about what pub he can go to because it's in his nature. He's, he's, he's become addicted to that drink. And going to that, that, that pub is his nature. You know, when you get, get converted, you get a new nature. I wonder where the new nature wants to go. Church, be with the brethren. Amen. Now, that's our nature. God's unchanging nature is always perfect. And it is his nature, wow, to be absolutely good. Secondly, he does not control any human. He does not control the will of any human. God does not ever forcibly choose some sinners to be saved and the rest to be eternally lost because he would cease to be good if he did that. He would be a liar after offering people the chance to repent and believe the gospel if they couldn't repent and believe the gospel. Calvin teaches that, and I'm not a Calvinist. He has chosen not to make you a robot. You did not get out of bed and go, I, I must go to church. I must sing this hymn. I must say pastor is the best preacher. You know you're not a robot. You know that. And you know, if God could forcibly change the will of man, why doesn't he change us so that we stop sinning? Because we have free will. Because it is better when we choose to be changed by Jesus, when we choose to follow him, when we choose to love him, that is the better love. He gave every human being a free will. You say, but that doesn't make sense. How can God be sovereign and me have my free will? I don't claim to understand it. I just believe it. And God is able to work out, in spite of my free will to be stupid, <laughs> he's able to work everything out for good. Matthew 13, 15. Go there, Matthew 13, 15. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 15. It's more we got some meat to chew on. So spiritual meat from the Bible. Matthew 13, 15. Matthew 13, 15 says this. Jesus speaking. He's speaking to the people right in front of him. He says, this people's heart is waxed gross. Now that word gross means full. Like a grocery store is full of items. This people's heart has become full. It is of what? Of sin, of the world. Their ears are dull of hearing. Their eyes, I have closed. Does God say that? Did God close their eyes? Did God fill their ears with, with all the hearing, the media of the day? Their eyes, they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their heart and should be converted and I should heal them. What does God want to do? Mercy. He wants to heal. When he says heal, heal their sins, heal their iniquities. But when he says, I want to do that, but they close their own eyes. So if you walk out of here angry at me, bitter at me, bitter at God, 
never reading your Bible, and you die in a car wreck, uh, God forbid. But if you don't live to see tomorrow and you end up in hell, you only have yourself to blame because God is good to you, giving you one more chance to get saved today. God is absolutely good. He does not control the will of anyone. He works with the frailty of man. And yet he still accomplishes his perfect will. I love Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. How can God work everything out for good when I'm such a failure? Because he's God. Not because I don't fail. Oh, I blew it. I was trying to witness to somebody, and we got all caught up in conspiracy theories. We got all caught up in, in the politics, and I messed up. We'll try again. And, and don't beat yourself up that you're a failure, folks. Worship that he's faithful. That's why we go to church. If you come in here to show off and say, Pastor, look, I haven't missed a Sunday in three years. Slap yourself. Because that doesn't matter to God. You ought to be here every single time we open the door. Amen. But there are people who are crawling in who haven't been here in 16 weeks, and they come in. God says, Woohoo! I'm going to pour out some mercy today. Amen. And you who are so proud, you need a lot of mercy too. He can be completely trusted. He can be completely trusted with everything in your life, big and small. Why? Because he's Lord. Because he's not just savior and friend. He has control. There's nothing out of his control. Something goes wrong. People are abusive. People hurt you. The economy collapses. He has a grip on you. He says, yea, though I, they, this is what David cries out, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. God doesn't keep us from the valley. I will fear no evil because you're faithful. Thou art with me. You're going to be with me. They ride in thy staff. They comfort me. You're going to get me through. Wow. I have to stop. Yeah, I do. Next week, we'll talk about Pharaoh. I have to kill all this. Don't worry. It's good stuff. Next week, it says we're going to get into the new covenant, but I'm, I'm, we'll probably do two points, but uh, the example of Pharaoh is a great one. God did not, let me just say real simple, God did not create a man who became Pharaoh to damn him. God took a nobody. I don't know who he was. We don't even know his name. <laughs> and God raised him up and made him Pharaoh. He gave him great power. And then when Pharaoh resisted God, Pharaoh sitting there listening to Moses say, you better let God's people go. And Pharaoh says, I do not know Jehovah. I do not know the Lord. I will not let him go. God says, we're going to have a battle. <laughs> and Pharaoh learned God wins. But God never created Pharaoh to be damned. Pharaoh was raised up, was put into power, just like Leo Varadkar was put into power, just like anybody is put into power, into positions of leadership, and they better, they better own it. They better be responsible because they better not fight God. God put them in that position so that he could show mercy through them, so that he could bless through them, so that he could use them as an example of his grace. And when they resist him and when they fight him, they are like Pharaoh. They're going down. You understand? Again. I'm a Gentile. The Bible calls me a dog. I'm outside the camp. I don't belong in, in the kingdom of God. 
I, I, there's nothing good about me. I wasn't raised Jewish. I didn't know the law. I didn't know the Bible. I was raised in an atheist home. And yet God's mercy was shown when a woman gave me a gospel track, invited me out to church, and I sat there and I listened for week after week after week until the penny dropped and I realized Jesus died for me. Why didn't I die weeks before? Why did God give me a chance to get saved? Because I can only say this, maybe he knew I would get saved. Maybe he's just foreknowing and he's just kind. I'm glad for the sovereignty of God. I'm glad I go out of here, storm blows, car wrecks, health problems, cancer diagnosis, cats dying, amen, <clears throat> uh, dog disappears, everything going wrong. I know it's okay. God is sovereign. He's in control. He's going to work everything out for good. I'm glad for the sovereignty of God. I'm also glad for the mercies of God. One of them terrifies me and comforts me. The other one only comforts me. I'm just glad he's merciful to me. Let me just say this and finish this. Watch this carefully. God's mercy stops his sovereignty. He has the power to force you. You understand that? But his mercy stops his sovereignty at your heart. And he waits for you to humbly receive his son by faith. Listen to Romans chapter 10. That if thou shalt believe in thine heart... That God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Why do I have to believe in my heart? Why can't I just believe in my head? Because God, he's trying to convince you in your head, but he wants to convince you in your heart. He's waiting for your heart to go, I surrender. You're right. So his sovereignty, his awesome, infinite power stops at your heart, waiting for you to humbly receive Jesus Christ by faith and choose to follow him before it's too late because you have no guarantee of tomorrow. Let's stand. Let's bow in prayer. Father, just before we take this time to sing an invitation and we think about going home, Lord, would you help us to think about who you are? You are God. Israel forgot that. Ireland has forgotten that. And a lot of Christians forget it. They really rarely ever pray Rarely ever seek wisdom from you. Rarely ever seek the pages of the Bible to guide them. They just make up their own mind, do their own will, not knowing that they're headed for trouble. And it's of your mercies that we're not there yet. So you've given us a chance this morning to understand just a glimpse of the sovereignty and the power and the will of God so that we understand the value of the mercies of God. And your mercies are shown and available to anyone who will receive them, who will want them, who will know they need them. If there's anybody in this room who knows that they've been kind of arrogant against you, been a bit proud of their accomplishments, been religious, and they finally realize that doesn't cut it. A broken, a contrite heart. An attitude that says, I'm a mess. I need mercy. I don't need things. I don't need praise. I need mercy. So that you can change a wretch like me and save a wretch like me. If anybody would just cry that out, that's salvation. That is the gift of God given because of your nature, not because of our worth, not because of our merit. 
definitely not because of our sinfulness. It's just you. And you offer it to everybody this morning. And if we are saved, may we just shout at the word mercy. May we get excited about the sovereignty of God and not be afraid of it. But just trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. So number 209, 209, please stand and stay with me and sing as we sing this invitation about the mercy of God. 209, grace greater than our sin. <clears throat> Marvelous grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there where the blood of the Lamb was spilled. Sing it now. Grace, grace, God's grace, Grace that will pardon and cleanse within grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. Sin and despair like the sea waves cold threaten the soul with infinite loss. Grace that is greater, yes, grace untold, points to the refuge, the mighty cross. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. I'm just going to read the third while she plays quietly. Dark is the stain that we cannot hide. What can avail to wash it away? Look, there is flowing a crimson tide, whiter than snow you may be today. Say, so why do you go to church? Because of good news. Because something, something that was said 43 years ago broke my heart, cut deep, and convinced me I need to be born again. And I never, ever got over it. Never got over it. Grace. How can we not be raising the roof and going? It was toward unworthy sinners like me. Wonderful grace. Father, we just bow before you one more time as we get ready to go home. I pray we're actually ready to not just go home. We're ready to worship you like you deserve as, as almighty God who is so full of mercy and kindness. Lord, that, that is not just wasted on us. It better not be. Because you have a plan, you have a purpose for being kind to us. It's, it's to actually do something with us, to use us for someone else to hear the gospel, for someone else to get a gospel track, for someone else to know God is faithful. Don't let us hide what you've done in us. May it be evident, clear, bright. Let our light so shine as we go home now in Jesus' name. Amen.